welcome to the B Signal Podcast. I am your host, B Anthony. Welcome to episode 19. Tonight is very special. Uh, this is the first time the B Signal Podcast is hosting or, or featuring an actor, a thespian, one who has really, you know, studied the craft and, you know, method and does things to make sure that they are ready for all things, you know, theater and drama. Um, or, you know, he's just a great actor, good man, all around, just excellent person. Um, we've known each other for a while, but I'll, I'll bring him on the screen before we go into details about that. I would like to present to some and introduce to others, Mr. Bobby B.J. Daniels. Good evening, <laughs> sir. How are you? I'm doing well. The drama is in you. You are on full stage ah! tonight. <laughs> I'm shy. I'm shy. I'm shy. <laughs> and sing. <laughs> Check the gates. Yeah. You're no, hilarious. Thank you, thank you for, for having me. No, this is really I I I I'm honored when anyone comes on the podcast um mm -hmm. or the YouTube channel. Uh, but this is really a, a um an exciting time for me right now to be talking to you um, because I'm talking to you as uh, not only as an actor, but someone who is really making nice steady strides um, in the entertainment industry. And I can't wait to delve in to conversation with you because I feel like there's a depth of, a depth of knowledge that I'm going to get, but then also you're just a very fun person to know and to interact with. Where are you originally from? Let's start there. I'm originally from North Carolina, a small town in North Carolina, down between Wilmington and Fayetteville called, called Bolton. When I lived there, there were about 550 residents, and we didn't even have a stoplight. It's, it was literally one of those towns, if you blink or nod, you miss it. Now we do have a stoplight. Um, we have one. And so, yeah, God is doing things in Bolton. Um, and then I ended up going to Winston-Salem State University for my first degree in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Got a job, got an internship rather with BET. I moved to Washington D.C. to work with BET, and um, during my internship, I was offered a job. Got inside and realized that the gold star didn't shine as brightly as I needed it to shine. No shade, BET, okay. and um, I didn't take the job. I ended up walking away from the job, and so then because I had a degree in communications, I started working in radio professionally. At um, at at the time, it was. Um, Heaven 1580. I had my own show and I did some producing behind the scenes and moved into that and ended up working for Bishop Owens. And so the rest is history after that. So that's the condense of the my condense journey program. there. Yeah. So yeah. you were there with Cheryl and Marsha yep. and awesome. Absolutely. Right there with them. And with and see, see, you didn't do your research because there are pictures. There are pictures out there with my afro with Cheryl and Marsha and you know, Marsha, you know. I don't know. And maybe mm. I'm not a good like I couldn't be on the show Catfish as like a researcher because I don't I don't know how to search for people in that regard. Like I Googled myself maybe once and it freaked me out because, you know, it brought up like my Facebook page and it was just like, ah, and then I put it away and it was like, I don't want to know anymore. And of course, it's me. But um, you're hilarious. I know it's it's yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh I want to go back to the BET point. Mm -hmm. um, the star didn't shine as bright, or it, I guess that's your way of just saying that it wasn't what you thought. Was it hard for you to walk away from that, knowing that that no. was 
Okay. No, and the, the full disclosure. Uh, wow, I mean, this is a this is a. If I ever this is my like life story. This is my lifetime, you know, movie moment. Wow, this is amazing. Full disclosure: I was offered the job and I didn't take it because I was offered another job back in Winston Salem to help a particular booking agent um, book for some gospel artists, and. I turned the job down at BET, but then things went sour with the job back in North Carolina because um, the the response came to me then, you know, hey, I would like for you to move back to Carolina, but do you think you'll be able to come stay with me and my grandmother until I can put you up? Oh, no. And so the response was a resounding no, because my the realization was, if you can't pay a deposit on an apartment for me and you've sent for me, how are you going to pay me my first month's salary? Mm. That's good. That's good. So I just became a wanderer in Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, yeah. But I'd already turned the job down with BET. But it just it just wasn't what I what I thought at BET. There was is good. I'm proud of what BET has done. You know, they're celebrating 40 years. But in the area of corporate communications where I would be working at, it just wasn't for me. So awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what inspired you to want to pursue acting or who inspired you? Well, isn't life drama anyway? It is. Isn't it is. life a stage anyway? I've it always is. been, I have always been a very shy and introverted person. Now I will claim the title of ambivert. And for those who don't know what that is, that's a mix. Um, so I call myself an introvert with extrovert responsibilities, but really at the core of who I am, I'm really, really shy, really shy. Like, like sometimes here when I have to go out to socials and things for acting or their screenings, I am the one in the corner. Like, I don't know how to get out and mix and mingle. I struggle in that area. Now, if it's someone like I know, like you, and we have history and we have experiences together, oh, we can talk all day. But when it comes out to bantering with people, random bantering that you don't know, that's honestly a serious struggle for me. I do. It do makes you? me it makes me nervous. And sometimes I don't go to events like I passed up free TIFF events, which is Toronto International Film Festival, yes. because because I'm just like, I don't I, it's going to scare me. It, like It's a party. We're not going to watch a show. This is a social party. I can't do this. And I'll walk away. And there's nothing there's no quirk or anything that you can do to kind of like psych your way out of it or. Well, you have to put on your big boy pants, you know, in cases when, you know, in yeah, in cases when you have to, you just have to do it. I've even been on sets and and we can talk about this a little further if you want to in terms of of what it's like being here on the Toronto scene, being being a newcomer and the culture and how I've been on sets and I've been just afraid to have a conversation, but sometimes to 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 for that camaraderie that you need to together you have to break that down so you just have to take a deep breath and 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 this is what i found that in bantering with people on a on a work level or social level like that you have to know a little bit about everything you don't have to know everything just a little bit about everything so you should you know like be familiar with a few hot topics if the raptures are playing and winning yes the raptures will win if the raptures are playing and winning or the blue jays are playing and winning you might just want to you know be familiar with where they're standing before you go out that kind of thing so that kind of helps me to know a little bit about what's going on if you watch the news or you hit some of the local blogs it'll just give you some hot topics um, on what to just kind of dialogue. And once you jump in and they just kind of feel like, you know, then you kind of feel a little more comfortable, you know? that That's how I manage it. Nice. Trying to know a little bit. 
Nice. Excellent tips. Excellent tips. Um, so what was the uh, moment or, or, or I guess the opportunity that presented itself that kind of opened that door for you? That's a good question. Well, again, I, I think life is a stage. And Brian, when I look back over my life, when I was in high school, I did, I did creative things. I didn't excel in sports. I excelled in arts. I excelled in music. I excelled in, um, I got, I even received county awards for drawing and pastel and painting and all the, I excelled in the creative writing areas. In college, I finally, I didn't, I didn't even tell you my journey in college, but I pursued communications. I'm saying that to say, and I did some acting in college. I did that to say, that what I should have been doing was always in front of me. When I left high school, I started college as um, pursuing um, a medical degree. I was going to go to medical school. Got wow. into I didn't I in my third in my third year of I'm sorry no my last year of my undergraduate degree I had a in, in my, this is in my undergraduate I had a full ride a full scholarship and I was in the lab doing some work and I realized this is going to help someone. I realized I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I can do it, but I don't want to do this. This does not make me happy. It does not fulfill me. And Brian, true story, I took my lab coat off, walked across campus to the registrar's office and withdrew from school. Wow. My parents had a fit because I lost my scholarship. I had a full ride academic scholarship. And for two and a half years, I searched. I searched. I wasn't in school. I worked in Winston-Salem, did things only God, you know, God can cover me from. And, and so then I chose communication. So now I'm in a new degree. I'm getting like 4.0s. I'm excelling. I'm feeling good because my, my concentration was like radio, television, PR. So now I'm getting to write the stories. I'm getting to do the acting in front of the screen, bantering with people, being able to create. That's mm. what I was created to do. So I said all that to say, I did the acting in college, I found communications. And so now in DC, you know what I did. I worked in ministry for 12 years. That gave me a bit of an opportunity to be creative because I worked in my, I was in my ministry. So I was able to be creative there and I was able to be creative in some other areas of ministry. But I moved to Toronto and I couldn't find a job. Here I am, a master's degree, I have um, an associate's degree. I have an undergraduate degree. I have a digital diploma in digital design. My master's is in counseling. I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm just all over the place. And I couldn't find a job. I could not even land. I could not even land an interview here in Toronto. So one day my wife said to me, she says, honey, you've always wanted to do things creative. Why don't you go do something creative and audition for some commercials or shows like she's like you have nothing to lose she's like we have money she's like it's not going to hurt you to go out and do it bing the light came on it was an open door for me to be creative again because all other doors were closed i was trying to get in and using my masters using my um, degree in digital design using my undergraduate couldn't get any attention so I auditioned and the first commercial was for um the national ontario um alzheimer society I booked a PSA and shot it and got bit got bitten by the bug. And so now I'm on television and the rest is history. So what happened literally is without trying to over-spiritualize this, but I'll just say this, every other door that I was looking and expecting to be closed to open was closed. But oh. the areas in the creative were all opening for me. So I had no choice but to walk through the open door. This is too good. 
This is too good. And I'm going to tell you why, because so I got my associates when I first started my associates program, I wanted to do information technology. Um, I thought I was going to be an uh, IT guy, just mm -hmm. like whiz kids with computers. And like you, I was able to do it, but then that just wasn't where my heart was. Um, now, I wasn't brave enough to quit, uh, <laughs> like just say that. <laughs> Because mother would have just literally taken her. I wouldn't be here today is what I'm saying. I understand. I understand. But I knew, um, I, I did tell her that I wasn't really connecting with the program. So I told her, I said, well, I want to be a cameraman. And she was like, what? Like, you want to work a camera? I don't understand. And at the time, I don't think I fully understood what I was saying. Um, and long story short i kind of accepted the fact that i want to make films i wanted to be a filmmaker mm -hmm. and it's been an interesting journey because um the bulk of my or the genesis the foundation was at church so being on the video ministry is when i my first opportunity ever holding the camera mm -hmm. but then i went through this whole back and forth phase of you know well I can make more money and this is more of a safe way if I if I do IT versus just go pursue right. what you really right. wanted to do. I tried taking certification exams in IT and I failed them all. The bigger point here <laughs> is that <laughs> I wasn't it wasn't in my heart to do and yeah. it took um uh a lot of just being honest with myself like mm -hmm. you and just saying, you know what, this is what I want to do, period. And uh, no matter how many odd jobs I've had and I've worked different places, um, it's always come back to my love for filmmaking. And so uh, it started to shift when I did uh, DCTV. That was mm -hmm. the, when it really opened. And then when I did uh, grad school, I went to American for producing for film television or whatnot. Wow. Um, and I'm still at that place where I'm climbing, but I think the difference now is that I'm okay with the journey and it's not so much about, um, uh, you know, I guess doing what's safe. That was a big thing for me and, you know, uh, doing what other people expect from me to do, but like, it's so in my heart right now that like having a moment like this, doing an mm -hmm. interview like this, it, it just, I feel alive. If that very good sense. very yeah fulfilled yeah. definitely yeah. and and you know Brian for whoever whoever may be watching or whoever may be listening I would like to also add to that that um just take a line again from sister act two now sister act two came out in 1994 I know what thing you're about to say ask me ask me how I know because we just made our boys watch it last week because <laughs> it's on prime video and they were like we don't why does this look so old no sit here and watch this gonna film watch it's it gonna bless you and you're gonna you love know. it <laughs> yeah, but you know, in the scene, Whoopi Goldberg's character, when she looks at Lauren Hill, yeah. and she told her to read that book, book, she says to her, if you wake up in the morning wanting to do something, you think about it all day, yes. and you go to sleep, baby, that's what you're supposed to be doing. I'm telling you, it hits every time I see it. And, and then, then and then the song to accompany. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go, go somewhere, somewhere, wake up and pay, and pay attention. attention. So I had to realize, and then and then too, in our industry, in the industry that we're both in, being a creative is not always easy to define. No, 
You can define medicine. A doctor goes to med school. They have to be licensed. You know, they practice in the area that they specialize in. You cannot box up the create the creative. You, it's impossible to do. So, so many days we can find ourselves wanting to do, wanting to do that. And I had to get to a place much like you're getting to that place if you're not there and just understanding I was created to create. There are two things. I was going to save it for later, but there are two things that fulfill me in life, being creative and helping people. If wow. I can do those two things, I am living. I am rich. Wow. That's that's where I stand. That's my, that's my mantra in life. I'm here to create and to help. And I do both of them well. And wow. that's not arrogance. That's just I've walked and I've journeyed and I've toiled through the other things. And this is where I find myself. So I'm standing on the mountain of life now because I'm finally doing the things that I want to do, that I was created to do. And I'm gifted in those areas. Your dreams should line up with what you should be doing. Now, I'm not here to, you know, you know, come up with all of these things. But when you look at what your skills are and your dreams and desires and what makes you happy, it should all line up with what you should be doing. Yeah. So yeah, like you, we'll choose those careers and those pathways and those areas that seem secure because this will get you a good job and this is the trend in the market right now. But if you're not happy, what does it mean? Yeah. I go to work every day. I book two I book two gigs today. <laughs> I book two gigs. I can't wait to get on set. I can't okay. wait. You know? That is it beautiful. Me. Yeah, so so let's talk about uh the the actor's life um what does that look like for you um and i want to couple with that question you are a husband and you are a father so balancing your responsibilities with those roles and walking the process of the actor's life what what is that like and how do you navigate those two worlds it's very it's very unpredictable um, just like today, again, I said I just I just booked a commercial and um, a photo a global photo shoot today. I didn't know they were coming. I knew I was on hold for them, but you can't predict it. So now I have work days um, when so now I have work days that I did not have before. And just like that, because I booked them, I'm committed. Once I accept, I'm committed to them. Um, and so it's it's very unpredictable because you have night late nights. I'm a night owl, so I don't go to bed before two or three o'clock every night. Sometimes I'm up to four or five and I'll sleep till 10 o'clock. I am a night owl all day. But the life of an actor versus being a father, I'll start with the serious and then maybe we can get into the more more creative in this area of the conversation. But I promised my family when I started acting because I saw that there were some long hours. When I started shooting um, this series, um, Bedtime Stories for Men, when I started shooting it, I was working 12, 14, sometimes 16 hours, like back to back. I would live, and I live, I live outside of the city. I live about 45 minutes to an hour. That's with good traffic mm -hmm. um, outside of the city. So we would literally work around four o'clock, work overnight. I get off at eight or nine in the morning, come home, sleep three hours, get up, study for the next day's shoot for another three hours and go back to work. And when that happens back to back, your family doesn't see you. You don't see much of anything. All you see is scene, standby, wardrobe. You know, you're in that. You live that character for those days. But Brian, I promised them in the very beginning, I said, I will never serve others more than I serve you. Mm -hmm. 
So that means even when I come home, if I'm tired, but he wants to go for a ride or he wants me to play a video game with him or they need help with something and I'm the cook in the house, if it's time for me to come home and buy dinner, I mean, to to make dinner or whatever, I'm going to come home and do it. I'm never going to give the outside world more than I give my family. And that's how I keep the balance. That way they never have to wonder if they're second because they're never second. They understand I have to go. They like to see me on television and on film. They like to see the checks roll in because that keeps food on the table. But in terms of the quality time and priority, they always know they're first. Always. No doubt. That's wow. how I balance that. Beautiful. And now it seems like they're getting into the, the <laughs> acting a little bit. I, I've seen commercials. Uh, Not just one yeah. commercial, but like commercials. Yeah. So what, what is that experience like for you, for your family? For us, for me, it was great. I loved having them on set. Um, the last commercial, well, it was one commercial, but what they do is they shoot different scenes in the commercial and they I roll see. it roll it out at certain phases. So the, so the first phase came out and then like this past Monday, they started rolling out the second one. And then later on this week, they started rolling out the memes and the stills. Gotcha. So that helps stretch out the campaign because the campaign runs for over a year. So because, I mean, if you have to watch the same commercial for a year, you're going to get tired of it. So what they do is roll it out in a different way. And then they also place it in different areas throughout the country um, at different times to still get the coverage that they need, um, because then they'll start monitoring, you know, are people buying the insurance? You know, they can tell that because they have a certain campaign running. Um, it was great having them on set. We drove to Montreal. Um, they offered to fly us, but because of COVID, we decided we would drive because then we could control our own environment. Um, when we got there, because we were in COVID, uh, they put us up in a, a five-star hotel in, in old Montreal. It was very nice. Wow. Um, there were four families in the entire hotel. So we had a floor to ourselves. They gave us two suites. So the boys had their suite and we had our suite. And they just treated us really, really nice. But that comes with that's that's for anyone who's 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 an actor that comes with being a union, a member of union. That was a union commercial. That was not a non-union. So um, there are some differences. But again, it's really about the work. It's not about those luxuries. They're nice, but it's really there about the work. Are you there to tell a story? Are you there to become that person for that moment? And um, I was proud of them. The boys who are 11 and nine, we were on set for 10 hours. And not once did they complain that they were tired. Not once did they complain that they did not want to do it anymore. They Everything that the director told them to do, they did it on their tight shots, on their wide shots. And when you see their faces and those quirky looks when they're like, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah. They did it every time over and over. They were having fun. They enjoyed it. Um, the crew, they were all great to work with. It was great being in the same trailer with them. We had no worries. They ate lunch. We went back. It was just a great shoot. We got to see Montreal for a couple days because we had a fitting one day and all that was just one hour and we were free. They were paying for our food. They paid for our travel. They paid for our hotel. You know, we got great per diems. We got the union per diems. So we really didn't have to want for anything. Um it was, it was just great being with them. I would do it again. But now the reason why is because of COVID, they started writing scripts when we were able to go back to production for families who were already bubbled together. So in other words, it would be easier to cast a family who already lives together versus trying to put people together who, you know, from two different households Household. because we okay. really shouldn't be that close. So we were able to be in a car or able to touch each other because we were already touching each other. Nice. So now a lot of the breakdowns that you're getting are looking for families that are already together. That's nice. how they came into it. 
and they had to pay a permit because they're not union. So they had to pay a permit to be able to work on a union set. Is the actors union in Canada that much different from the U.S. or? I don't know much about the U.S. The U.S. is AFTRA or mm-hmm. SAG, mm-hmm. and here it's ATRA. That's A-C-T-R-A. Um, I don't know because I never went AFTRA there. Um, I have auditioned and even been on hold for some AFTRA, pro- um, AFTRA productions because they actually bring a lot of you. There are you, you, a lot of U.S. shows are taped over here, believe it or not. Yes, the question um, this was taped there. It was, and I auditioned, and I didn't get the role. I really wanted what? it because they're my favorite. I auditioned for Bill Moss. Um, okay. Maddie's Maddie's brother when they were in the studio. Yeah, Yeah, he was the engineer when Maddie told Dorinda, she was like, Are you singing for God? Are you singing for (laughs) cats? You know, yeah, that was supposed to be me sitting there. But Karen, Karen, um, I actually know him. We were with the same agency at the time. He's a very nice guy. We auditioned the same day. But I'll be honest with you. Let me park right there. I I have so much to talk to you about. You know, we need like a part one and a part two. Let's Um, do it. But Karen, he, um, we were there the same day. And I'll, I'll let you know, in my heart of hearts, I knew he booked it. He went in right before me. But there was something about his look. It was something about what he was wearing that day. And I'm not putting myself down. But the truth of the matter is, we have, I have learned as an actor, you don't say, you don't go in saying, you know, I'm not going to book this or whatever. You go in and book the room. Booking the room does not necessarily mean you're going to get the part, but it means you go in and do the best you can do because I've had cases where directors have reached out to me when I didn't book a part, but they remembered how I auditioned. That's called booking the room. Nice. In other words, you put the best dag on audition down on the table and they will remember you. And I've had I've also had happen to me where directors have called me back without auditioning, wanting to book me for other films because they worked with me before and they knew my work ethic and they knew my skill. So that's the focus, booking the room, being the best you can be all the time. Oh, oh I've got the time. Yeah, I all the time. Book the, the actual gig or the film role. Yeah. Yeah. You're really just showing off your skill set and in your charisma and everything that you bring to the table. Absolutely. It becomes your standard. It becomes your standard of excellence and you do it all the time. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. It doesn't mean being perfect. It means being excellent in everything that you do, having the right attitude, not complaining when something doesn't work out for you. Because I've been on set where actors who complain while we're on set working, it's just horrible. We just we you want to move away from them. It's like it's like a disease. It's like it's like a strain to be around those kinds of people. But yeah, Karen, um, he's a great guy. But I knew that when he came out, I just said he booked it. And I still went in with the same confidence because again, I wanted to be a part of work. I wanted to be a part of telling the Clark sisters story because they are my favorite group in the world of all time. So I wanted to share that, but it just wasn't in the cards for me um, to, to book that. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. But he's a great guy and he did an excellent job with that, with that role. He was great. So I played Eric Greenidge in an episode um, of um, See No Evil. And I played the role of a Liberian man who abused his two daughters when they were children separately. They didn't know they were being abused growing up. And he grew up, he moved away. I mean, he had had three children. He moved away, he came back. But one daughter was okay with him coming back. The other daughter was not okay with him coming back. And the long and long and short of it is they met in her house, in her apartment to have a discussion about the past. It didn't go well. She ended up and this is something that wasn't revealed in the story. But after talking with the director and the research that we had to do to prepare for it, he and she ended up 
um, covering his mouth with alcohol, so like like smothering him. She she handcuffed him, tied him down on the floor, stuffed a towel in his mouth, severed his penis, fried it up in a pan hard, and went and threw it in the ocean. Because to her, that was the weapon that he used to hurt her. And she said, I'm not going to let him hurt anyone else with that weapon. Now, here we are hearing this story as cast members. We're looking at each other. We know each other's cast members. But now we have to tap into a dark place to tell that story. So how do I exhibit on set? How do I exhibit that aggression? How do I exhibit that pain? First of all, the story has to become important to me before I can tell it authentically. So I have to connect with these characters. I have to feel his pain. I have to feel her pain, their pain, whoever's involved. We have to feel their triumphs and their trials through this in order to tell the story. At the same time, I had to go back and tap into some of the pain that I experienced as a child to be able to actually emote those emotions and become that character. It's, it's necessary. You have to find a place and a space. And then when you when when the director yells scene or cut and, it, you know, you have to do it again. You, you, you have to do it again to 20, 20, 25 times until they feel they have enough to move on. And sometimes it's physically draining to become those characters. I did a show um, and maybe I'm talking too much about this. I won't I'm mention absorbing. it. You're fine. You're um, but I, I did. A, I mean, I don't know how much I should reveal of this one. I did another docu-series where I played the role of a man who abused his wife and he abused his son. It was the setting is in is in um is in Pennsylvania. I won't call the city, um, but the setting is in Pennsylvania back in the 70s. And the son was involved with a white girl and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the 70s, it was all about segregation. Well, the dad said, stay away from the girl. Dad comes home one day, The he started, kept seeing the, the white girl, the Caucasian lady, and um, mom was hiding it. Mom would let them come over to the house and hang out. Dad comes home one day, I play the role of the dad, and I catch, um, my character catches him making out with her on the bed. What I had to do is I had to reach over and I had to grab him by his neck, yank him up, slam him on the wall and proceed to choke him and choke him and and and, and yell at him. I also had to beat my wife with a belt. Uh -huh. Brian, those places were very, very hard. But unfortunately, I had a reference point because of my history. Wow. I had a reference point. I knew what those I knew how 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 it sounded to hear the wife screaming when she you know the shrieks and the pain and the terror attached to that. I had a reference point so it wasn't hard for me to pull those emotions out. And so we would do that scene they actually had um they actually had a person come on and teach us how to do that because when you're doing physical things like that you can hurt each other. So right. for 2 hours we trained how to properly choke him and give him the control. It looks like I have the control, but the way his hands were placed and his neck was placed, he had complete control. So I couldn't put more pressure on him than he could handle. So we would do that, slam him on the wall. We would do the scene and the director's like, harder, harder, harder. And I'm just like, Argh! I mean, everything is coming out of me. Tears are running down my face. I'm sweating and he would yell, cut, let's do it again. And I promise you, Brian, every time he would yell, cut, we would all just fall out in the floor from being mentally and physically drained. We'd have to take five or 10 minutes, regroup. So now makeup has to come back in, wardrobe has to come back in, art has to come back in, set the scene back up. The cameras need to be readjusted. The lens need to be cleaned again. 
it takes 15 minutes to do just to get ready for another take. And then we have to do it all over again with the same, if not more emotion. Wow. It's amazing how to create those stories. I wish now when I watch TV and film, when I watch productions, I rarely look at the story. I'm always analyzing how did they get to that or how did they do that? You know, because right. I know the behind the scenes in detail now and i'm always amazed at how they how they derive like even now i have i have videos stored of behind the scenes stuff because i just want to go in and see how did they do that how did they make this magical it's it's amazing man do it's you amazing. have do you collaborate or work with an acting coach for some of your jobs or is it just do you, is it just natural for you most of it, most of it, most of it is natural. I have okay. collaborated depending on the role. I do have um, I have a mentor. I have a mentor. I I prayed and I asked God to give me someone who could balance me between the spiritual and the and the creative. And he sent he sent someone to me in my life. He sent it to me. He sent this young man to me. Um, he's not a young man, but you know he's he's older than me. Who is not only a believer in Christ, but he's also a working professional who has directed film after film after film. He has managed multi-million dollar budgets with television. He has major experience. So he knows how to balance the two. So I'll, I'll bounce things off of him sometime. I have worked with coaches specifically. I used to do improv. improv I used to do improv classes. I always they, wanted to do improv. They were great. You know, improv brings me to life. You want to know why, Brian? And you should seek some out. I'm sure there's some local, you know, there in, in DC, I'm sure there's some local- there's a lot of them. I've just been too chicken to try, to be honest. Do it. No, do it. Let me tell you why. For me, those improv classes, they woke me up because they allowed me to do and be whatever I wanted to do, be or say without judgment. There was no wrong because it was improv. So the things that I wouldn't try in my everyday life or the things that I wouldn't try on set because of, 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 of you know, us thinking that someone might not like it. In improv, you can try it. You can come up with a name. You can come up with a character. You can say something. You can do something. You can bounce something off someone else that you normally wouldn't do because it's improv class and it's all allowed. Oh, man. Improv. You have to do it. I'm telling you, one class, you feel so alive. I miss wow. it. My, my instructor, Scott, Scott Barnes, he moved out to British Columbia to become a principal. And um, I miss him, man. He was he was amazing. Funny guy. Funny guy. He loved to wear bow ties. So I gave him some of my bow ties. But um, no, improv is great. I really want to challenge you to, to just just step out of it and you can go out there and there you don't have to be Brian. You can be Ryan. You can be whoever you want to be. You can say the things you always wanted to say. And I don't mean necessarily bad. I'm just well, saying no. we can become whatever we want to be based on the scenarios that are set up. Awesome. Yeah. Um, pivoting just a little bit, but still staying in the realm of um, the show that you were just speaking of. Um, when I saw your work on the ID channel, um, I I was excited, number one, because this family, mom, Jared, we are an ID channel family. And <laughs> to see you there, we were just like, oh, God, like, you know, that's our Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> I know. It's um is is as an actor do you feel and if i'm asking this in a way that it trivializes it that's not my my heart but i just want to understand when you're making decisions on what roles to pick 
So if it's an ID channel versus, uh, you know, being in the next Marvel Cinematic Universe film, um, do you look at both as the same? Uh, it's, it, hey, you know, they're, they're hiring more Black people now yeah. uh, after Anthony Mackie's criticism. Uh, right, so, right, right. Um, but do you feel like, do you look at one better than the other or does that even come into play when you're considering jobs to take what you um, want to take on? Well, my agents know that there are a couple things that I will not do. Um, I will do some partial nudity. And when I say that, I mean, just like maybe down to my underwear, but it would have to be a weighty role. It would have to be something um, I would definitely run by my wife just out of respect because although it's acting, it's still work. You know, yeah. like she just can't roll out and go get on a pole. No, right. you just you're just not going to do that. And you just can't say, oh, that's just work, honey. No, you're not going to do that. So okay. I have to I, <laughs> I have to render to her the same things. Um, that's something to consider um, in terms of the, the 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 placement of the production, like like the ID channel versus cinema. Uh, I would say to some degree it does it does have some weight, but it's never it has never really been an issue for me. Um, I do read over the sides, I read the breakdown, and I have actually turned down some roles um, because I will look at it and say, "Well, I don't want to play this. I see where it's going." There's also another role that there was nothing of that nature involved with it, but as I read the sides, I just couldn't connect with the character. Mm. I wasn't feeling the cat and I, I was studying, I was studying. I'm like, Aisha, it's just not, it's not clicking with me. And so I've just emailed my agent. I need to decline this. I just don't feel it. I don't feel I can pull it off. So whether it's a self tape that I'm doing here at home, which of course is now the way to go with COVID, they're now easing their ways back in the studios um, now, but whether it's a self tape or actually going in before the casting director, if it's something that I don't feel comfortable with, or if it's just not clicking with me, I don't mind. I've never, I've never just said, "Oh, I'm just going to get this because it's money or placement." I've never, I've never done that. Beautiful. And and I, I draw that from someone like Leonardo DiCaprio. He said that he's always maintained that. He said he's never taken a role that he didn't want to take. Mm. So I, I think that's important. I think that's important. I think that's it. Speaks to a level of integrity and character for the actor. Um, especially when you have the option to decide what you want to take and what you don't. Are you really just going to do anything and everything? Now, now I've played some roles where I've had to swear, um, and that's fine. That was my choice. Um, being a believer, you know, I, I made the choice that I'm going to play this role, um, even down to the point when I did theater. Um, I'm just I'm just messing up all your segues tonight. I'm just... <laughs> Look, I'm, this is for me. This is what I love about my show. It's the conversation. I, I, I do the questions were just the responsible thing to do. The response, so. I get it. I get it. Um, but no, I, when fine. I did, I did um, Dream Girls here about three years ago, a little over three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. November will be three years ago, and that was a phenomenal experience. I got a chance to play Curtis Taylor Jr. and um, in in the script it says he has to say, you know, bull, BS, or whatever. And so, being a leader in my church. I had some reservations because I knew most of the membership would be coming to see this production. They were already excited that I was cast. And I called Bishop Owens. I called Bishop Owens and I said, you know, the director, I talked to the director and I said, you know, she said, she said, I'll honor you either way you want to go. You can put the word in or take it out or choose another word. I'll respect you because of your faith or whatever. And it wasn't that I didn't want to. I just didn't want 
you know, my e my good to be evil spoken, spoken of. And so I called Bishop Owens and I said, Bishop, this is the deal. You know what he said to me? You know what he said to me? He said, son, it's in the script for a reason. If you take the role, <laughs> read the words, do the, recite the word. The writer wrote it for a reason. Do it. He said, if they can't, if they don't understand that you're playing a role. And you know what? That was the confirmation that I needed. And I was like, you know what? I really, I really, it has to be my personal choice. Now, if I choose not to do something, that's, that's, that's based on my own personal choice, my conviction, but I should not let what others think in that regard. So, so yeah, so I did it and, and nobody said a word to me. None of the members who came had a word to say. They loved the production. Um, we did have one lady though. She came and she was not able to separate me from the character. So in the middle of the um, production, when I'm kissing, um, when I kissed Dina or whatever, she yells out, this is theater. She yells out, BJ, don't you forget you have a wife named Aisha in the middle of the theater. So when I went backstage for my costume change, I'm texting my wife. I'm like, tell her to be quiet. <laughs> I'm like, man, no, to self, I, don't invite any people from church to my, no, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. but I'm like, my wife knew that I had to kiss her for every performance. My wife approved. She met her. It wasn't even like, like it's professional. Yeah. You know. Let's talk about that because again, um, and you're just all up in my business tonight. I didn't know this conversation was going to go this way. I, I, I wonder about that um, as I'm coming up with story ideas um, and even when I was taking my producer's program, that was just a challenging thing because, um, and I don't know how this is gonna come out, but it's the truth anyhow. I could not think of too many ideas that were rated G, you know? And it was just like, oh God, but you know, what would the church people think, you know? And, and I think for me, I had to make a decision that if I'm going to do this and if I'm gonna pursue this line of work, then, you know, not only do I have to be true uh, to myself, but I also have to be true to the ideas that I feel inspired to create or whatever it is that moment is to, mm -hmm. to honor the moment. Mm -hmm. um, how, how, how has that journey been though for other people like the lady in the audience for you? Is it, is it something every other quarter or every other job where someone comes up to you and be like, well, brother BJ, now that was just a bit too far. Or do you even look for it anymore? Is it just like you, I don't you I don't look care? I don't look for it. I don't look for it. You know, you know who my, my check and balance is? Is my wife because she's very wise. My wife is not controlling, she's not a nag, she doesn't want to control me. She's very reasonable. You know her. And yes. she's she's very Beautiful smart, person. she's very caring, um, a wonderful person. I'm yes, so blessed is. to have her, but she's my check and balance. So if I get a script or I get a breakdown. And if I have any kind of question, I'll let her read it. And I'll say, what do you think? And she'll say, I don't know. What do you think? You know, and she'll talk me through that process. And that's, but in terms of what people are saying, like, I have a work coming up soon that I know that some of the believers are really going to criticize me on because it's a very dark character that I'm playing. It's nothing demonic or, or anything or whatever, but um, without giving away too much, the role the role, this is a role that, that I didn't think I could play because it's not me. Like, I'm a nice guy. Don't I look like a nice guy? I look you like a nice guy. guy. Yeah, I try I to be a nice guy. But this role is not. And there's some there's some stuff going on um, in my scenes in this character that I'm like, wow, 
there's some things I'm going to say and some things I'm going to do. There's some of them are going to some who can't see beyond that and just see me. They're not going to like what I'm doing. But I'm OK. But I'm OK with that because I, I ran that process. I judged myself. I analyzed myself. I searched my heart. My wife said, you know, this is the role, you know, take it, whatever. And so I'm going to go with it. So if they don't like it because it will be in the cinemas, if they don't like it when they go to the cinemas, hint, hint. That's just how big the project is. I'm trying um, to contain myself from asking what it is. <laughs> so that's why I have my mouth like this, because I'm just like, is this my first exclusive? No, I respect you. Um, oh gosh, this no, is, I couldn't, I couldn't. But no, uh, but this is exciting. I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm excited for you more than anything. So and I'm working, and I'm working with some A-listers directly, like nice. directly with di some A-listers. I can't talk about it. No, well, don't, I don't want you to mess yeah, it up. Yeah. But, uh, but no, just I, in case, it's it's the job. You heard it here first, everyone. You heard it here first. Congratulations. So, yeah. so, yeah, thank you. so this is this is going to be my biggest. Um, before COVID, it was like a $35 million project, um, which is pretty big. But I think because of COVID, we're like, we're all going to have to be isolated mm -hmm. um, and everything is shooting in Montreal. I think I'll be gone like five or six weeks or something. I'm not really sure. I'm just really excited to be working on this level. And nice. and if, and, if I, and again, I'm not giving away the storyline, so it's okay. So I can talk about it. But if I may talk about the process of getting there. Now, I auditioned for this role. I did a self-tape. I had a, I have a, a couple agents in my age. I have one one male agent and um, you know, a couple females who who they all kind of banter or whatever. And so I submitted the tape to them. They looked at it before they sent it over to the casting, to the, um, to the decision makers. And she replied to me, she sent it back to me. She said, do it again. She said, give me some more. <clears throat> okay. I was like, I thought I was really bringing it again. You know, I'm a nice guy. I don't really know, you know, dark stuff or whatever. Did it again. She sent it back. She said, you're almost there. Give it to me again. Mm. I was like, gosh, like, 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 I gave it all I had, sent it over a third time. She said, this is great. Sent it off. Brian, this is a true story. I'm giving, you know, I really, I'm giving you all. I have never talked about my career on this level. So you really are getting the first level. Make sure you you play this back. I've never talked about, well, no one's ever asked me. So, hey, you're the man. I'm not the man. You're the man. Because no one's ever asked me. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Bragging rights. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> you're hilarious. So, so. Go ahead. So I, she, they sent it over, Brian, I waited three months, three months wow. to get a response. And so I would email my agents like anything. They're like, nope, anything. Three months. You know what the response was? No, wow. you didn't get it. Didn't get it, Brian. I was crushed because I waited so long. And again, knowing again, this platform is an opportunity to work with these these great A-listers, a couple people who are like veterans in the industry. I mean, heavy, heavy hitters. And um, I didn't get it. I didn't book it. And I was crushed. So, but I had a shoot the next day, shooting um, shooting a pilot film with a, with um, some people that I knew. So the next day I got up, I went on set. I'm on set shooting this pilot. We're in an alley shooting this scene. And my agent texts me and he says, I said he or she, because like, again, they're all working together. But he right. messaged me. He said, give me a call when you get a chance. So when they yell cut and they're setting up for the next scene, you know, we're already dressed. I'm just standing over to the side waiting for the cameras to get positioned into the next shot or whatever, whatever. I called him and he was like, he said, you know, Bobby, they went back. He said, the reason why they said you didn't get the role because they were looking for someone who was bigger and stronger. 
It wasn't your talent. They were looking for someone who was weightier and they went with someone else. So he called me. That was the night when he gave me the bad news the day before. Mm -hmm. So the next day I, when I called him on my break, he calls back and he says, they went back and looked at the tape late last night and decided they wanted you instead of the one who was stronger and bigger. Look you got that. the role. Look at that. So see, you know, things happen. Things Look happen. That. Look at that. I am so excited. And whenever I find out what it is, this this segment will be played back. And um, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm just, oh. This is, I'm really happy for you, but more than, more than the job itself, I think what it demonstrates is how to endure process and how, and how to be committed to not only the, the allure or the grandness of what it is that you do, but when you have a passion for acting or directing or writing that you know how to keep going and then how to deal with the what appears to be a rejection, but then things can turn around and mm -hmm. another opportunity can evolve from that. So this is, yeah. I think more people need to hear stories like that um, to show that, you know, it's okay. Like if it's not this, then it's Something not the, there. yeah. And it's not the end. That's, I think it's that's the end. best part of the story that um, I appreciate that what, what, when others might've just, you know, been like, you know, at this or whatever, you kept it moving, went to honor your other obligations, mm. and it worked out in the end. So that's it did. That's it pretty did. awesome. And you know, when you hear that, there's a saying, and I, I hope I'm not misquoting the concept, but there's a saying that to every great person, they've had to lose something great. When you look at someone like Kathy Hughes, I'm familiar with her story, who is the owner of Radio One. Kathy Hughes lived in her first in her first radio station, she had to give her house up for the dream that she has. She and her son slept in their radios in her first radio station. And look at her now. She's all things Radio One. You know what I'm saying? Every person who has done something great or who has obtained something great has had to lose something great. Letitia Wright, Black Panther. She plays Shuri on Black Panther. She tells her, her story. story. That was yeah, that was like her first major thing. You know, um, she she waited and she waited for months for a response too. Um, so so yeah, it's it's like. You have to believe in something. Now, granted, we have to pay bills. So there are things you have to do along the way to pay the bills. And again, that's the challenge that we have as creative people. You can't box us in. Not everything is rigid. In other words, the dream is not hard edged. It's jagged. Uh, the reality of the dream is very, very jagged. But if you don't mind getting cut a little bit, and if you don't mind getting scarred a little bit for the sake of the dream, it will happen. And the dream, watch this, the dream doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be Oscar worthy or, or, or Emmy worthy or, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to, that's not, that's not what it is. That's not my goal. I want to tell authentic stories. I want to tell some creative story. I want to tell some surreal stories, but I want everything that I do to be as authentic as possible. And I believe that if I, I focus on that, I believe the other things will come. And that means, again, showing up to work on time. I've never been late for an audition. I've never been late for set. If your call time is three, you can't be getting out of your car in the parking lot at three. You should be getting out at, at, at 2.40, 2.45, showing up at your trailer at 2.50 using the washroom so you can start wardrobe or, or makeup at three, whichever they want you in first. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, like sir. 
it's showing up. It's booking the room. It's showing up. It's believing in everything and believing that every step, like right now, like I know a guy who he and I, we did, um, again, your segue, we did, um, um, a show together, a five episode series called bedtime stories for men. I know a guy. And so he was trying to get on with my agency and he told me, he was like, I'm not doing any more commercials. I've done enough commercials. It's time for me to be next level. Well, he did one film. He's making his own short films now. And he didn't get the agent that he wanted. And wow. my, I guess my whole thing was like, now I'll do the commercials. I'll do the films and I'll do the televisions. I look at the story. This goes back to what the reference that you made. I look at the story. I look at the scenario. I look at the, 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 the breakdown and what's surrounding it. And I decide if it's something I want to do. I'm not being judgmental because he has his own standard. But what I'm saying is we have to keep working and building. Every commercial is preparation for that Marvel film. You get what I'm saying? I got every, you. every commercial, every photo shoot, every episode of a docudrama on the ID channel, even if you're playing a small role, it's giving you more experience. You're getting to know more people. You're getting to know directors and crew, which is very important. Never, never forsake your crew. Never forsake your crew because you will see them on the next set. So don't overlook. It's like people overlook the gatekeepers, like people overlook the janitors and the secretaries in the office. Never overlook your crew because you will see them again and your crew can make you look good and they can make you look bad. That's the uh, one thing they taught us at DCTV. Uh, take care of your crew. If you take care of yeah. your crew, oh, yeah. your crew will take care of you. So and I've I've held on to that like a million dollars. In many cases, they're the nice ones. Yeah. Definitely. Ah, oh, sir, this is so, so good. Um, I'm looking at the questions now. You've pretty much just demolished all of them. So um, at this point, there's not even a reason. I, I'm going to save the last 10 that you did leave. Um, but I want to go back to something that you were talking about earlier, too, uh, uh, with, with uh, uh, auditioning. Do you look forward to the day where you don't have to do it anymore? Or, or is that uh, a process where you're just kind of like, eh, old to be in the position where people will just come? Or do you like it? A lot of people thrive on the auditioning process. I think that's a weird question. Okay. I don't, I'll answer it. But, and the reason why I say it's weird is I never thought about that before. Like I've never seen myself. You have some people I'm going I'm to I'm take the back door on this. You have some people, their vision is to be the leading man and the leading lady. And that's all they see. That's all they see. But what they fail to realize is you have to be the background. You have to be the actor. You have to be the principal. You have to be the large principal. You have to be the guest star before you become the leading man and the leading woman. Wow. So I say that to say, I have not seen myself, my vision for my career. I've not seen myself at the place where I don't audition because I know that's part of the process. The truth of the matter is either you're going to audition. And if you don't audition, you're going to end up doing the screen test, which is like an audition. And the screen test can be as nerve wracking as the, audition. the audition. Yeah. So you're going to stand before someone. Now, if you get to the place where producers or directors just be like, I believe BJ is going to be a great fit for this. Let's offer the role to him. You still have to do a screen test. You just don't roll up on set. There's still other things to you for you to do for the process. So I don't know. I don't think if I've ever I've ever seen myself. It's not nerve wracking. 
um, I'm actually very comfortable doing self-tapes. I actually run a, um, a self-tape um, studio called East End Self-Tapes out of my home. Okay. And before COVID, I would have actors come in. The reason why is because most of the casting studios are downtown Toronto. Again, I live about an hour outside of the city, but I know I'm not the only actor out here. So if for people who don't have home setups, they have to drive downtown, which is money, traffic, gas, or train. Right. Then you have to pay for parking. If you stay down long enough, you need to get a snack. You know, you're spending money just for sometimes you can be on on set. Uh, for for audition for as long as like 45 seconds if it's like a one-liner but you're really trying to book that role then you go in and they're like thank you and you're like gosh i came this far and you still don't know if you're going to book the role wow you get to write that stuff off you get some of it back a percentage of it back but still so my purpose was i rearranged my basement i've got like a 10 foot wide 10 foot high um backdrop, backdrop. And lights led lights and all that stuff um and um I started running that out of my basement for actors out here who just need to put self tapes together without going downtown. That's the only reason. It's not, to, it's not even to really, really make money, you know, just a little bit for the service. And then also I edit self, I edit tapes for people, for those who want to put self tapes together. I've gotten many compliments on my self tapes. And so um, again, I, I'm not so self-centered that I'm like, I'm going to be the leading man and I'm going to step on everybody to get there. No, I'm not that guy. I'm going to help yeah. some people along the way because you know what? You and I are both wearing black shirts. You and I are both black men with beards. We're both handsome. If we both go up for the audition, hey, just because you don't book the role does not mean you didn't book the room. It doesn't mean you didn't have a, you had a bad audition. The truth of the matter is only one person can fill it, the role. That is good perspective. And that's how I do it. When I audition, when I get a breakdown, when I audition, sometimes before I even get back home, this is when I was going in. But now, even now, once I send the self-tape in, I remove that audition notice from my email and put it in a folder. The reason why is I'm not going to lose sleep over an audition wondering if I got it or not. Wow. In other words, when I put my all on the table and I've auditioned and I've submitted and I've clicked send and it's gone or I leave that casting room or whatever, it's done. So that means if my agent reaches out to me, they're like, oh, you got a recall or you book. I'm like, cool, but I'm not going to sit around checking my email every minute. Oh, oh did I book? Did I? I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that because you're going to drive yourself crazy because acting is 80 to 90 percent of no with all that I book. And like people are like, you're always booking or whatever. They don't know the number of no's. Number knows. The number, I mean, it's the, it's the rack is full of no's or callbacks or holds. They'll put you on hold sometimes and won't even tell you when they've released you from the hole. So you're still holding the date. There, there are a couple there are a couple productions. I'm still on hold. It's been two years now and I'm still on hold because they never had the courtesy to tell my agent we're releasing him from the hold and going with someone else. That's rude, but. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we're going to move on because, hey, we're not bitter about that. We're not. No. <laughs> What's your favorite genre of film? Wow. To act in or just to watch or enjoy? Like Either just... or. I, I want to, what do you like? To, what do you enjoy? What do I enjoy? I don't want to do what you like to do because I don't want to feel like that box is you in and you don't know what world famous director will, may see this. Okay, so I'll, I'll answer then. So my favorite genre is either a comedy or horror. I like, I love horror films. I know, yes, I'm a believer and I, I'm a believer and I love horror films. My parents let us watch horror films growing up. Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, 
all of it. Night of the Living Dead, we watched it all and enjoyed it all. But I will say in my older age, I do not watch demonic based films anymore. Like um, like The Conjuring. Oh, I, just, I can't do any of those. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's a little. It's a little too real because I've seen some things happen in the in the spiritual in real life, and I'm just kind of like. And then again, it makes me wonder what are these actors taking on when they're on set and they're playing these roles? Because again, you have to go to a place to play these roles. What are you opening yourself up to and exposing? I'm not judging anyone, but I have I've had several conversations with a friend of mine who he's a, he's a white guy. He's an actor, and he loves horror too. And he's rededicated his life to Christ recently. He's like, BJ, I just can't watch those films anymore. Like, I, real quick story about this genre horror. So I'm at home one night. I went and saw I went and saw The Conjuring with Bishop Brown. We went and saw it together. I know. What? <laughs> he loves horror too. But anyway, what? We, were, <laughs> we went and saw it. And I'm home. At, I'm home one night. So good. You know, message after this is over with. Actually, I probably will. And um, <laughs> I, I went home and we're I'm watching it. And my wife, she's upstairs or either she comes home. She's not in the room with me, but I just, I was surfing and just saw a piece of it. It was like toward the end. So my wife is one of those persons is if she sits down five minutes, she's going to commit to it. Like she feels like I just have to watch the rest of it. So she's sitting down watching this and she's like, okay, honey, this is a little crazy, like whatever, whatever. And when they were in the basement of the conjuring, and he said, what is your name? She said, Bathsheba. My wife was like, oh, no. Oh, no. She was like, cut it off. Cut it off. You know, no, this is a true story, Brian. She was like, cut it off. She went and got the oil and anointed every door and window in the house and said, this has to go. It yes. will not stay in my house. Yes. <laughs> and I think that kind of put an end to me watching the demonic... <laughs> Productions. Oh man! Yeah, another I another. Can't, I can't watch it at all. I haven't seen one. That is the best story I think of the season so far. Um, I, I haven't want... watched any of the Conjuring, yeah, no. uh, or uh, I think the the one thing that I sat through was the Paranormal Activity, mm -hmm. but I thought that was more interesting creatively in how they did it with the surveillance footage. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. when that was just starting. Um, but I can't do any of the, the conjuring. And I love the director who does it. I think he's very creative. But some of that stuff, like those that Annabelle doll, no, yeah, I can't too. I, I, I can't do it. I think, I think I'm done. Like I said, I'm in, I'm just in a different place now. Another thing that I won't do, this is just me personally, I won't watch horror movies late at night when everyone is asleep. Like if I watch them, it'll be in the afternoon. Not that I'm afraid, it's just again watching some horror films at three and four in the morning when everything is still and quiet. I know now some, some are probably going to criticize, criticize and be like, it's just a film, but as a protector of my home and a believer of my faith, I don't want to open any kind of portal in the middle of the night. And then things are walking around creeping, you know, because, because spirits, I this is my, again, this is my belief, whoever's watching and listening. Uh -huh believe that spirits can attack and they will attack you in your dreams. So as the protector of my home, I can't be sitting up watching these things, opening up portals and now things are attacking my children. And, you know, you, you, gotcha. know, you know, if that's what, that's just what I believe. If you want to comment, we can have a discussion about what I believe, but no, I do. So like when my wife falls asleep, if I'm still up. I refuse to watch a horror movie late at night because I don't want to do that. I don't want to expose anything. Gotcha. But now the horror films, I will like, like, like um, cabin in the woods. 
that was like a ridiculously funny horror film. Um, you know, things so like- I, I laugh at the part where he hits the deer and the hooves are coming through the window. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Or like 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 cabin like cabin fever when they had the 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 whatever it was the flesh eating bacteria that that water. was the movie with the hooves yeah yeah you it know cabin, um, yeah yeah so um so um you know I watch those because to some degree they're somewhat realistic and could actually almost happen, happen. like I love the slasher now if you want to watch a good horror series I'm a slasher person slasher on Netflix Aaron Martin is the director. And okay. what he's done is he has three seasons. Each season is isolated within itself. So they're like 10 episodes in first season around the same storyline. Then he chooses a new storyline. Slasher. Aaron Mar- It's on Netflix. I hope you get it in the States because he's a Canadian um, director. Um, I got to look our, it up. Yeah, our, our Netflix are different. So you all can get some things that we can't get here. Um, but Slasher, Slasher, what Slasher's done, it's a modern day Slasher film production but it includes the classic blood, gore, and like, and the suspense. Because gotcha. you know, suspense is important. It suspense, is like, like you just can't, you just can't just walk up and be like, "Hi," and just start stabbing people. Well, no, that's that's stupid. one of the reasons why I like, I love the first Halloween. If you really watch the first Halloween, it's not that gory. Um, it, I don't even remember that much blood in it. But what I do appreciate about it is the suspense and the yeah. way that. Um, he he world builds and and uh, how Mike Myers is strategic and when they finally reveal him I maintain that is the scariest scene ever in the slasher film when he comes out of that closet because you don't you don't suspect it you, you know when Jamie Lee Curtis is up against that closet and you just see this white face appear out of nowhere I that is just genius to me and, it, it and you're, you're at the edge of your seat like yeah, yeah. We've seen films where, again, it's not the blood and gore splashing all over the screen, but but that element, like for example, um, Jordan Peele's um, 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 Us. That I thought some, Us was very, very good. It has some suspense there. Now, now the storyline, we can debate about the symbolism and all of that stuff all day long. I would have to see it again to really ha- engage in that conversation because he did have a lot of symbolism that is relevant even to today. But in terms of the suspense and bringing that, you know, you don't know where they're going to come from. Um, I thought that was good too. It had a very big mystery element to it yeah. that I appreciate that you don't get too often. Um, now, whether or not you feel like it paid off at the end, of course, that's up for discussion. Right. But the world building that he did for that, I bought into it. Um, and I had a good time with that. Um, I just, I did a horror episode um, on the podcast and that was very fun. Mm. Um it was with the guy that I was uh, talking with. Uh, shout out, Brother Ghoulish. Um, he's a black uh, podcaster and he's into horror or whatnot. But um, we were talking about that and the different components of horror. And what I appreciate about the genre is um, that it's not a one lane type of deal. You can do it out of a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you, I don't do the supernatural stuff um, mm-hmm. at all because I just need my peace. <laughs> I need my peace. Well, uh, thanks, thanks to Jordan Peele, I'm not going in a funhouse anymore. Thank you, Jordan. You know, now look, I will. I, oh God, I'm about to tell on myself. Do I want to say this now? Because I feel like I'm going to. No, I feel like you'll understand where this is coming from. Um, and it's already. I already told the secret to like my inner circle. So this is this is appropriate for you, BJ. I have a fear of clowns, but it's not really a fear of clowns. Um, it, it's a fear of um, of 
mimers, I guess. Um, yeah, see what you're doing right now. It's, it's, and so when, when it came out, I struggled because it was just one of those things where it's like, I, I don't understand it. Like, this is the most interesting thing, but I know you're a mimer or you were a mimer. Yeah. And, and I, you know, John Rollins clowned me because he was like, so how did you sit through all those performances at Calvary? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> if you notice, I was either behind the camera or I was far away, but I don't do clowns. It's just very weird to me. Like, okay, I feel like I've offended. I'm sorry. I love no, no, you haven't offended me. I'm actually taking notes. <laughs> I'm taking notes in. Oh wait, I'm taking notes. I'm writing notes in blood right now because you know, you know, I I like practical jokes. I don't know, come. This to whole DC. house is full of practical jokes. Do not oh, come yeah. to DC and clown um, makeup. I, I I know several people who just they can't do the clowns. I know some people who don't like balloons. Um, you know, it's 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 a real thing. I respect it. Um, now, so so you've never seen like Killer Clowns from Outer Space? That movie that changed my life. My cousin showed me that movie when I was, I think, seven or six years old. And I was okay until they started eating the cotton candy and the people were on the inside of it. Messed me up. And then when she when the popcorn went into the toilet and it and it and the heads popped up, people don't believe that movie exists. I've told many of people about that movie. And they're just looking at me like, you're making this up. I'm like, no, go to internet movie database and look up the poster and it'll change your life. And the fact that they killed the clowns with the nose, I don't know why that even bothered me more, but that that was just amazing. And then they would change and I am familiar with killer clowns from outer space. Obviously you remember more than I do. I, it's just, I think that's why the Joker makes sense to me as a villain. Like a lot of people are, you know, I've read these thought pieces where it's like, why would you use a clown as a bad guy? It makes all of the sense in the world to me, you know, but um, BJ, I'm asking you right now not to do anything that involves clowns. I'm I'm asking. And it's funny you. because I, I had an audition today. Um, I, oh gosh, I can't really, well, I had an audition that I had to submit this morning, a self-tape to play a very creepy character um that requires me getting in the water underwater and like coming up i want i you know what i want to book the role just because it's something different that i haven't done again i want to do the work i want to expand my 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 talent that's what i want to do so i'm like i want to do this it's a very short role but i want to do it to say i actually shot and they were like they were like you have to stay underwater for like 30 seconds and you have to come up and out and do this certain thing because again i can't really you know give it away or whatever but i'm like i want to do this like i want to book this role. so i was really creepy early i was really creepy earlier today i was really creepy like you know like eyes big and everything like they are right now like I'm yeah like i was trying to figure out why the eyes were getting bigger as it was very us just now um <laughs> i was gonna see where it was gonna go i have no problem screaming i have no problem <laughs> screaming and I will wake up my entire household just to let out whatever it is that needs to come out. Um, yeah, I'm that guy. Um, <laughs> I'm far away, so you're safe right now. I'm far, far away. I'm far, far away. But you, know. you keep repeating it, and you have yet to stop staring into the screen. And your eyes even now look like they want a ball job, but you're controlling it. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate you this is for a, this that. This is a home of practical jokes. We play practical jokes on everyone. But um, I promised my family again, not only would I 
I promised my wife that we would always laugh. If we are rich, if we are poor, I don't care if death comes or what has happened and we've experienced death. Like her father passed, her father passed no last November. My father passed two years ago. Um, you know, so we've experienced death together. But I always promise her we will always laugh, we will always love, and we will always serve. And so everyone plays practical jokes. Like one will just like hide out in the closet just to wait for somebody to come. But I did things like that when I was young. I would literally I would go to the bathroom, get behind the curtain and stand in the bathtub for 30 minutes just so I could jump behind the curtain. And I know, I know my parents are going to, no, I'm not even going to say the political, not spank me. My mom is going to whip me. She's going to beat my tail with a switch. If you don't know what a switch is, look it up. Okay, I'm familiar. Um, I mean, whoever's watching, but you know, I, um, yeah, I would do it just for that one moment when my sister would sit down on the toilet and I come from behind that curtain and scare the heebie-jeebies out of her. I knew it. So my boys, they got it honest. They really did. They got it honest. Yeah. Okay. Well, if Brian, I come to Canada, I'm staying I'm staying Brian, in a hotel. What's that behind you? There's nothing behind me. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing behind me. Clear, clearly, there's nothing. See, I hotel. Thank you, Lord. See, you are, you, you do help. Thank we'll you. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not even telling you what hotel I'm staying at. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, you just going to meet me at the train station? Or Pretty at, much. Be like, like, hey. Hey, you want to get something to eat? Okay, well, I'll see you later. No, no you don't have to come. You don't Until have later. to come. But um, yeah, um, I enjoy what I do. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I'm, I, I appreciate this now because not only am I learning about the artist, but I feel like now I'm learning about the man and the psychosis that goes with your job. Um, note to self, I'm just, I'm aware is what I'm saying. Um, you're not going to get me. You're just I, not. But can I tell you a secret? Sure. Here, let me lean into my mic like it's ASMR. Can I tell you a secret? Nails on the mic. Um, but no, <laughs> okay, I'm losing it now. Um, no, honestly, we didn't discuss what a dream role for me would be. I was going to work my way there. Okay. Oh, good. I'm so, jumping. I mean, no, so what would be, I'm so scared to ask right now, what would be the dream role for you? I want to play a psychopath. So, and, and what vein is, uh, Jack Nicholson, the shining type of psychopath? No. Okay. No. All right. No, I want to play... I want to play, see, see, I think this is what I think. And this is what I would like to do. Like I just auditioned for a series, uh, um, a series regular role. And I really want to book this role, Lord. Oh, oh, I want to book this role as a series regular, because when you play a role in an episodic and you're just there for two, three days to shoot, you do the role, you do the work. It's good work. Now, don't get me wrong. It is good work. But when you become when you get cast as a series regular, you get an opportunity to build a character. For example, let's take Carrie Washington in Scandal. Mm. She was who she was in the beginning, but when you go back and look at who she ended up being and how you either love Carrie, you hate Carrie, you're either in love with Carrie or you think Carrie is vile and that, um, um, Olivia, you think that character 
is whatever it is. That's because not only was it the words that did it, but it it, it was oh it was Carrie Washington's character, the way she walked, the nuances that she had, the way she twitched her eye, or the way she did her mouth, like yeah, yeah, you know what that. I'm saying. In other words, we came to love or hate that character because that's who we saw visually. That's who we heard. And she developed that role and she had a part in it aside from the writing and aside from the wardrobe and the lighting or whatever. So I would love an opportunity to be a series regular so I can build a character. Um, even like now, Danny Glover still says that people still walk up to him and they are upset with him because he played Mr. 30 years ago. In the color purple that means he did a good job good job yeah when i did when i played curtis taylor jr after the show we'd be out in front and some people would be like upset with me and rolling their eyes at me i'm like or or at the end when i stood on stage and had my last monologue looking up at the audience sometimes they would boo me sometimes they would clap me clap for me but that let me know your role was believable you but did I your wanna, job yeah but i want to play a psychopath and the reason why i say that is i want the challenge um, uh, of playing um, a role that people love, but also end up hating. I want to play that switcheroo in in one continuous work. Okay. I, would, I would love to. That's the only thing. I, and I don't desire to be vile or to kill. No, 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 no. no. I, I want to play. I want to play. I want to. I want to master the ability for you to love me, and then for you to turn around and be like, "This dude is wild." And and the best example I can think of right now is I think his name is McAvoy. Who did um he did um uh, he did uh oh god uh, yeah split split and it was like a series it was like a three part split thing. glass and unbreakable was the first movie yeah man he was brilliant in split the way he played all of those characters like I'm talking framed up same frame no cutaways or anything and he would literally change his demeanor and his expressions and this eye would go up here and he and he would change and become the woman and then he would go back and become the little boy and then become the vi brilliant i always maintain he should have gotten an oscar uh for that role um yeah. even when he did it in glass and i don't think glass was as good as split but his consistency with how he executed that i can't think of too many other actors that well daniel day lewis could probably do it but like outside of him it johnny, was just, johnny, depp, johnny depp could johnny depp could do it too um i think that he just maintained this energy with it that it it was kind of like this uh uh it felt like a symphony in a way you know that the way he was able to kind of transition mm -hmm. and make all of it work together when they were talking to each other you couldn't have done it any better. And the way um, M. Night shot it, especially that end scene when they're looking at the, the glass or the mirror, I'm sorry, he's talking into the mirror about uh, how strong they were when the beast came. Now, now that was another moment when I got scared. I'm, <laughs> when that thing climbed the wall and I'm in the theater like, what in the world? How is he, I, I'm literally like just doing yeah. this. Yeah. And um, I talked to, I forgot which friend it was, but they were like, no, there are real cases like that where people take on these, these, these uh, personalities and they can either gain strength or yeah. emulate. And I said, well, you know what? Thank you for that. I don't need to see this ever again. Uh <laughs> I, think, I think the word now, now granted, I don't know, we don't know where he had to go 
to push that out. And that can be a dangerous place. Even when you look at like Michael B. Jordan had to have therapy after he shot Black Panther because they were on set so long and he was playing Killmonger for so many months and months. He had to go get therapy to come out of that thing. When you look at um, even Twilight or Game of Thrones, some of those persons had to get therapy. They, it was a process for them to return to who they were normally. So I don't know if I would like to endure that, but you know, I would like the opportunity to 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 be the good and the bad guy within the same work and see how that works out. I think that would be a good challenge because in real life we can be chameleons. You know, we can we can stand back. It, I think I I remember it best from um, what is it? Scary Movie Two when um regina hall is standing up with her girls and she they see the um they see the white girl get out of the car oh she's standing beside um anna farrell i think it is anna and Farrell's. they're at school yeah and they they're they're at school and they see the, the little rich snooty girl getting out of the car and she's like i can't stand her look at her so and so like that i was like that's how we do in real life we switch up on people but 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 I mean I just I think that would be creative to be able to do that kind of work because um because I used Brian you know I've never told anyone this I'm telling you really like like I'll have to like add these to my things to tell if I ever get interviewed by like E News or whatever or or Jimmy Fallon or somebody I don't know whoever may want to ever talk to me one day but when I was a kid I used to stand in the mirror and make faces. Now, I didn't know that I would be a mime later in life. I didn't know that I would be an actor. But what I realized in hindsight, that it, it was preparing me for the strength and the skills that I need now to do what I need to do on set. I used to literally stand in the mirror and do things with my mouth. You know, I used to work, you know, all kinds of things. And then I would pull out a flashlight and do the dark, you know, the, the one light. I would spend hours in the bathroom doing those things, just creating and developing and exploring the options of what to do with my face. And, you know, and now I use it to make a little money. Is, does it ever get, does, does that part of your job, is it hard to hold on to that, the innocence of it? Because the way that you are reflecting on what it was like for you having those moments as a child, um, good or bad, and the way that you, from our conversation tonight, that you're bringing it into your work, um, how hard is it just to really maintain that love, that that innocent love of acting? Because I'm I'm really fascinated with just the pure joy. Even when you're talking about the heavy parts of mm -hmm. your job, there seems to be a joy in how you you just connect with it. Mm -hmm. And I, what, what is that for you? How, how are you able to maintain that? Well, I'm extremely grateful for the ability to have the gifts and the talent. And the, I think, I think it's just a passion that exudes me. You know, it comes, it comes, it just comes out. Like I've never had a bad day, uh, a moment that I regretted being on set. Now I have had a bad moment on set and, um, we can discuss that off camera, but, okay. but I've never had a day where I've regretted being on set or auditioning or whatever, because I really just, I love what I'm doing and I'm humbled. I'm humbled and I'm grateful every time. Like, like I, re I can remember just even like being downtown at Revival Studios, just shot um, American Gods 
in November. I was going to ask you about that too. Yep. I, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Got a chance to work with the rapper Wale and uh, what? We, just, yeah, we had a, we had a really, really good time. So you got to catch season three when it comes out. Um, but, but even I remember being downtown at revival studios where it was shot, getting in my truck at the end of the night, sometimes one, two in the morning and just sitting there like, I'm so tired, but I feel so good. And I'm usually hyper. So by the time I drive home and I get home, I'm just like, what's up, everybody? I, yeah, it, it, it's, it's magical for me to be able to do those kinds of things, to tell that story to be, you know, I'm not sitting. And I, and I knew a long time ago, I wasn't necessarily built to sit at a desk every day. I know how to sit at a desk. It's required um, at times. But in terms of what fulfills me and what gives me the ultimate life, Oh man, it's it's being it's being out there creating. And now I'm dabbling in some writing. I wrote my first short um, at the top of the year. That was my goal to write my first to finish my short because I started a year ago. And now I've had some writers look at it, and I um, and so I'm reworking. I think it may actually be filmable. We'll so, Thomas, that was going to be my next question. And and now that you're kind of venturing off into other aspects of production. Is that mean that long term, do you want to leave acting behind to become a director writer type or you? OK, this is this is strange. I don't want to direct. I really? Directing overwhelms me. Um, and I've directed musicals at my church here and it was hard work and it was overwhelming. But in terms of what I see directors deal with on set and having that vision, I would love to continue to act and I would love to write and create. And I think that's about it. I don't. I don't want to sit in the director's chair. Although there, I'm sure there are going to be some times when I have to, especially if it's my own work. Even if I'm not the ultimate director, maybe a co-director or something of that nature. Um, but it's it just it doesn't really appeal to me. I would love to write. I have stories. I have like here. I have stories that are stored, not just the ultimate story that I want to tell, loosely based on some experiences that I've had. But I've, I've, I've gone through periods where I've had dreams and I'll get up at three and four in the morning and I'm on the computer and I'm like, I've got to get this story out of me. I've got to get it out of me. Um, just some creative stuff, even a thriller, even a thriller, Brian. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, yeah, um, that's where I'm, I'm dipping in those things now. I've got a director who's interested in looking at this short, um, his production company. They um, they produce shorts and he was like, hey, man, get it together, send it to me. So like right now it's in the final editing stages. I'm having some professional writers look at it and tweak it. And when it's ready, I'm going to send it over to him. And hopefully, you know, I don't know how much I'd have to help fund the, the project. But I know ultimately when you're getting into filmmaking and writing, you kind of do have to fund your own, you know, your own projects. Um, a lot of independent works never get off the ground because funding just doesn't come through. Um, but I but I believe in it. And that's that short that I finished is based on two experiences in my life. So I stand behind the script and what it means and the message that it's sending because I've lived those experiences. Are you okay though as a writer handing that off into someone else's hands? Because I was just listening to a podcast where a reason why they did decide to direct is because they wanted to make sure that every aspect of what they wrote uh, and uh, to the best that they can, because of course there are some things that they don't have control over, even if they did write it, but at least shaping the narrative of it, they were still able to maintain some integrity with it. That doesn't concern you too much, giving it to another director or. No, as long as, as long as I can have, 
creative voice in what they put on the table before everything is finalized. Mm -hmm. and, and then also, I, I'm able to be very detailed. So I can actually, if, if you talk to me or you ask me to put this together that you want to translate into a screenplay or into a work, I can give you details down to aroma, down to smell, down to feeling environment. So I think I can control that a little more because I'm able to provide those details of what I'm feeling and paint the picture from the perspective of the angle that I want to come from. And then if I can just sit down and read the work, make a few changes, I think I'm I'm actually considering collabing with with the with the guy now. And I told him I was like, you know, my writing is not as strong as I would like for it to be. And he's a strong writer and we have some similar ideas. So uh, we'll see. We're kind of we're kind of having some light conversations now about whether we would like to collab with each other but you're right it means taking your baby and trusting someone else to nurture it and raise it the way you would that's yeah. exactly what it means cool only three more questions um what advice would you offer to someone who wants to work in entertainment now that's either as an actor or if they just want to get into the business um what if you had to pick one, and you gave too many nuggets tonight, so if you want to repeat one of the early ones, that's fine, but what advice would you give? School, education, um, education. Get out of my business, BJ, let's talk about that. <laughs> just, just because I think, now I don't regret where I am because if any storyline, if any hour or any minute of my life had cha has changed, then I may not be here with my wife and family. So I have no regrets. But what I do know is that my path doesn't have to be, nor will it be anyone else's path. So if someone were to ask me that, I would say explore, take a few classes and see how you feel. I would say that too, especially to the one who's entering college. If you go the first year and it's, and what you're studying is not working for you and you're not happy, you don't think you wanna to commit to it, I, I am an advocate for change in that regard because I believe that you should be doing, you know, what will, what will make you happy in life. But I think it starts with, you know, cause I've had people, I've had people in DC um, reach out to me and say, you know, things like, hey, I, I see I can do what you're doing. What do you suggest? Well, first of all, no one can do or be what I do or am. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's fine. That's fine. I know. I know they meant it in an innocent way. But my reply was, take some classes first. You know, like get some headshots. You know, um, that's that's where I would say begin. Do some do some research. Study the industry. Study the norms in your area. If you're really passionate about it, you may need to move to another area or another city. That's that's once you really decide that's what you want to commit to. You may have to relocate. But I think it starts with classes. And in those classes, I think you'll begin to find out: Is this for me? Is this going to be too much of a hurdle? Am I not interested? Am I not satisfied? Am I not fulfilled in that? And I think that's where it will really come out. You have to educate. You know. Are classes looking, and this is another interesting conversation that I'm having with colleagues, is it always uh, structured or looking like a quote unquote, a degree program or is it workshops? Is it getting uh, a, a certificate? What, how, how, what is the best track in your case for acting, for example? So for those who can't go to you know, a Juilliard or um, New York NYU or what have you, what, what advice do you give in that regard? I think, I think that applies somewhat to where you are in life and what your responsibilities are. 
because a person that's in high school, of course, their first commitment is getting through high school. So I would say take the evening classes, et cetera, et cetera. If you still have an interest, then maybe go and pursue um, pursue something related in your area that you want to study. Um, again, I think it's where you are in life because where I am in life right now, I'm not able, because of my commitments, I'm not able to take the classes that I would that I would really, really like to take. Um, I would love to go back and take some voice classes and things, but, you know, right now I am where I am and I'm very happy with where I am. You know, I'm raising two children. I am committed. I am, I have commitments at my church in terms of leadership and I'm very happy with those choices in life. So I do a lot of, um, I watch a lot of videos on YouTube. I collab with a lot of people. I have a lot of conversations. I join in on webinars when I can, um, because that's where I am in life. I don't think it's co cookie cutter for anybody. I think you have to look at, for some people, finances, um, that's an issue and that's a challenge. I don't think you should give up on your dream because it's not where you can stop the whole world and just pursue your dream solely. Gotcha. You have to customize um, your journey. And again, if you have a passion for it and you really want to do it, you'll read books while you're on the train going back and forth to and from that job that you really don't want to work. Um, for example, me. In college, I waited tables. I started working um, in Winston-Salem undergrad. And what waiting tables did for me is it taught me how to be detail-oriented. It taught me how to wait on people. So I could go to this, this table and say, okay, they need coffee and they need tea. This person wants a cocktail. They're waiting on their appetizers. And I learned how to, how to register all that stuff in my mind, go in the back, bring it all out, make sure everyone's happy. You know, it taught me how to deal with people, but it also taught me how to how to pay attention to details. And I was very successful. So then I moved to D.C. I worked for B. Smith for three years. You know, she she mm. recently passed away yeah. uh, and um, I worked for her for three and a half years. I was a, a manager in training. They wanted me to go into management there. I had great experiences. I actually I actually received job offers and actually worked a few jobs because people were impressed with how I waited tables. They were like, we want you to, we want to hire you to come work for us. And I'm still friends and I keep in touch with those persons today because I worked really, really hard. But during that time, those were times when, you know, people were just like, okay, it's just a job, like just making money. Yeah, I made good money because I was good. So like during Christmas, I had all the parties and, you know, they're like, run up the tab, bring the wine, bring the liquor, you know, all of that. All I'd have to do is call the cab and swipe the card and walk out the door with the four to $500 a night after paying $200 out to the bartender or whatever. Like I was on that level and it was good, but I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't where I was going to be in life. It was a means to an end. So I was so at home, I would write and be creative and do things and write songs and write music and write poetry. But then I had to, that's why I say you have to balance. You have to live. We have to live and make a living. So if you can't go to school full time because you have commitments, maybe you're a single parent or maybe you're a student and you just don't have the finances, you have to cater and customize and find ways to get the education you need through podcasts like this one, through through YouTube videos, things, get that education and that fuel and that ins inspiration. Because many times you can be inspired to hold on to a dream, although it's not manifesting yet, because you've heard someone else's story until you're able to focus more on the dream. You know, that's really, really important. So if it's something that you really, really want, you'll find a way to get it. Awesome. Good. Beautiful. Well stated. This is probably one of my 
literally thank you just you're awesome uh last well last of two um how do you think or feel the entertainment industry is going to evolve um and right now we're of course dealing with COVID 19 but um this will be over and when it is um a lot of transitions would have happened um as far as you know not only what shows are being produced or what films are being made but you know how people are breaking in now um how what what do you see for the future of entertainment well you know sick you 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 said covid is is going to be over and i really don't know when covid is going to be over i think that we are adjusting to a new norm i think that masks are going to be a common thing for a while um some some scientists or doctors are predicting that that covid will be an annual thing just like the flu comes in the fall and the winter they're predicting that covid will have its spikes and things of that nature. Um, I think what COVID has done is it's giving a lot, given a lot of writers a chance to sit and write. And I think some good, good scripts and, and screenplays and things of that nature will come out of this. Um, but I do know also they're having to go back in and rewrite some works because they can only have so many people on set. So one of the articles I was reading, they're talking about how writers are now either, if they want a crowd scene, they're either using old footage or they're using special effects to place people in, or they're just writing and altering their scenes to remove the crowds. Right. Because they're not able to do that. So those are those are things. So then that's a challenge because you've got reduced crew. Crews are not on hand. They're combining, they're combining jobs. Like they're hiring now some people who are able to do makeup and wardrobe and hair. So if you have a skill set in the, all three areas, you're more likely or possible to get the job in that regard. They're, they're bringing in smaller crew members. They're hiring, you know, gaffers and things of that nature, combining different things, which means now there's also um, a gap in hiring um, background because they're not bringing all the backgrounders on. They're using only essential people. Right. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to last. I really don't. I really don't know. I know that everyone's excited here in Toronto to be back to work. I know that sure. I am excited. And 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 being back to work means I'm still willing to take all precautions to be as safe as I can because I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to deal with the virus or whatever. Um, so I don't. I don't know. I don't really. That's that's a good question. That's kind of stumping me because I don't think I can predict where it's really going to go. But what I do know is as it relates to COVID is if we all focus on, on, on social distancing, sanitizing and doing our best, we can flatten the curve so that there are, there are as you know, minimal cases. Um, I mean, we've survived this before, I think, you know, what, 1913 or, or one, I can't the, remember what it was. They said it was a hundred years ago, I think. Yeah. Literally. Um, so. Yeah. But they they had to wear masks and there was, you know, they survived it. So I think we can survive it. Um, where the industry's going, I think we're going to see a rise of um, um, black directors and producers. Um, also, a lot of um, uh, BIPOC-based films and productions. I think a lot more stories are going to be told. Okay, so I thought it would be fun. I always like to sneak in this segment to get the look on your face that's happening right now. But I have you. Nothing bad's going to happen. You're in a safe place. So I normally ask three, no, that's not, see, now I don't feel safe because the eyes are bulging. Um, 
<laughs> I always ask three questions related to something unique with the interview. And so um, you are in Canada. So I thought it would be cool and it would be educational. Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to list, uh, to do two separate lists to the best of your abilities. So the first question is, what three films do you recommend uh, that my audience and or passing viewers should watch that are based out of Canada? From Kim, Canada? Kim's Convenience is groundbreaking. Okay. It's about um, it's about a Korean family who they're trying to assimilate to Toronto culture, like the setting is in Toronto, and they're trying to assimilate to Toronto culture, but while maintaining their own standards. And it's about a very proud father and a daughter who's trying to to she's in school, she's a photographer, she's trying to really grow up. So you see the struggles of adjusting to dad's traditional overbearing ways. He's 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 harmless. He's not a mean person. He just He's, he's stuck in his ways and his Korean tradition. But then we also see elements of him trying to adjust to being Canadian as well. Gotcha. So he'll, he'll do things that are Korean based, but in the name of being Canadian. Canadian. And it just doesn't work out. But it's it's a comedy. It's very, very funny. Um, very, very funny. Um, Jean Yoon, um, she stars, she's a feminine star, and Paul, I can't remember his last name, he's a he's the male lead. And um Jean Yoon actually spoke into my life at a at a conference that I went to, one of the actor conferences, and I was talking about writing as a black American in Canada. And she really, aside from what she does and what she brings to the show, she spoke into my life in that way and told me to write and tell the story. And she really started talking about, she said, how many stories have you seen on television in Canada where you have a black American family trying to adjust to Canadian life? She's like, tell the authentic story. Don't make it a white family. Don't make it another family. Tell the story the way it should be told and people will respect you and watch it because of this. Like, like I remember her words. Wow. So she, she did. So that's Kim's convenience. Um, um, so I guess just one more because you got Slasher, Kim's Convenience. Um, here's one, <laughs> a new one. I don't okay. know how long it'll last. Auntie Jillian. <laughs> okay. It's a reality TV show. It is the first black reality TV show in Canada. Okay. A young Ooh. lady named Jillian. She lives in Ajax, which is about 15 minutes from me. Um, I've auditioned with her several times. She's an actress, but she kind of, she started doing YouTube clips. You know, that's where it builds. And she built an audience and a fan base and she pitched to CBC and they bought the show. So then they put, they, they put her on CBC gym, which were like little shorts, um, little short, um, 11 minute, whatever on the app. CBC gym is their app. So they would stream on the app. And they recently bought the show. So now she comes on every Saturday night, half hour show. Um, very proud of her and her family. They are Jamaican and no, Trini. Oh, they're West Indian. Cause I think, they're, I think they're Jamaican and Trini, but um, very nice lady, um, beautiful family. Haven't met her family yet, but it's, it's good comedy because they bring that reality. And they also bring the West Indian culture mixing with Toronto culture, but it's not a scripted series it is reality TV. So if you can catch that anywhere, or if you want to YouTube um, and search up Auntie Jillian, you can see some of their their show, but they bring they bring that Canadian flavor. And personally, I'm proud of, of her for pushing that. And so right now the push is for season two. 
Nice. They've done, they've done Family Feud Canada, which is new to Family Feud. I mean, which is new to Canada. We've Who got hosts that one? Gary D hosted. He's a okay. comedian. He he does um Mr. D. That's a good. That's another good Canadian production. He's a comedian, but he had a series. He got eight seasons of um, Mr. D plays a um a school a high school teacher who is just off his rockers. He thinks he's amazing, but he's really not amazing. He's actually quite clumsy, but he has a good heart. Um, he's like that person who just like that person that you meet. They are kind of they're a little off, but they think they're really the bomb. You know, yeah. kind of like they really don't even see that they're not as talented as they think they are. Like he thinks he's athletic. He's not athletic, but he thinks he's athletic. So in his mind, he's athletic and he wants everybody else to see. So it's like that. So yeah, Gary D he's, um, he's a comedian. He's game. He's hosting um, family Feud Canada. So yeah, it's a good vibe going on here. You've got a couple other things. Um, yeah. So awesome. That wasn't too bad. Not too bad, but I was you so did good. I'll edit it. So, you know, um, and what about, uh, so I'm a big Ryan Reynolds fan. Um, if you had to pick one actor, I love Jim Carrey too. Um, but if you had to pick an actor for people to look out for that's up and coming, oh, wow. besides yourself, of course, we know that you're gonna be. An actor who's up and coming. Or someone that people just need to be aware of from Canada, out of Canada. Out of Canada. Yeah. Ooh, this is a good and hard one. Um, mm, 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 mm. Who stands out? Who stands out? Um, I'm stumped on that. I okay. Really, I'm. Who stands out to me? Um, I'm thinking about Andrew Fung from Kim's Convenience. He's a funny guy. He plays kimchi on the show. He's kind of funny. Um, he doesn't have a lot of prominence on the show, but there's room for growth. Jean Yoon, like I said, she's a she's a wonderful actress. She's Canadian, okay. and um, she does good work. She does she does good work. So so maybe maybe her. Um... Mr. BJ, thank you so much for being on the B Signal podcast. Thank you, man. This is good. I love it.